Welcome to Mindful Social, the show that intersects mindfulness and emotional intelligence with the hectic online world we live in today. As many of you know, being a caregiver for a family member is an unforgettable and often life-changing experience. Today, my guest is Lynn Abate-Johnson. In her new book, Out of Love, A Daughter's Journey with Her Mom to the End, she shares her story of six years as she cared for her mom with ovarian cancer and how that experience transformed her in so many ways. In the book, she shares her story with heart and honesty, but also her knack for problem solving and organization, and that will help you navigate your own journey. Have a listen to the show and share it with someone you know who's caring for a loved one. Listen up. Welcome, Lynn. I just want to say, you know, this book is so full of emotion, and it's a deeply, deeply personal story. And it's not just about your mom. It's about how you managed it, how your family managed it, the communication that you had with the medical team and the relationships that you created. And I think writing this book took so much courage to really put it all out there, you know? And I I would love to hear from you why it was important to you to put it out there like that. Yeah, so part of my purpose, which I identified a few years ago, um, is to, it's like the ocean, I am a force of nature that reveals new horizons. Mm -hmm. And so I, a few years ago, when I, when I came up with this purpose, I wasn't really thinking about the book or writing the book that much. I mean, I knew it was kind of an idea in the works and, um, what that purpose and, and also along with my values had me being was, uh, really intentional about if I'm going to do this, it's going to be for the sole purpose of helping other people who were all of a sudden thrust into this caregiving role as a family caregiver. Mm. And, you know, now we have a whole month that's about it's national family caregivers month in November every year. And that was not planned. That was not planned for my book to be released during that month. Um, so the why is really simple. It's to help other people. And that's why, um, this book started out as being all about my mom and all about the daily journaling that I did for the family and the friends that were long distance to Mm -hmm. keep them on the, all the, every single gory detail they ever wanted to know because our family is like that and so and so I knew there was no way I was going to be texting or being on the phone and neither were my siblings with the long distance people and so um my niece created this platform on caringbridge.org she created a login and then I started because it was a very easy way to update people Um, Mm -hmm. It was a low impact way to do it while we were busy taking care of my mom and, you know, in and out of the hospital rooms and the chemo rooms and the doctor's offices and the emergency departments and 
like there's no way that we would have been able to keep up on effectively communicating what was happening day to day without mm -hmm. that platform. So originally, because I wrote about 600 pages of journal entries, um, and a lot of the people who were reading the journal entries from day to day to day and then commenting on them said, man, like you're such a good writer and you're like, you're making us laugh, even though this is such a heavy subject. I was making jokes about, you know, my mom always being on the toilet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so instead of, you know, having people, well, it was a great way to gather support um, from the larger community that we're a part of as a big, big ethnic family. And it was also a great way for me to, I didn't realize it at the time, but it was good for me to write about it because I do love to write and I do love to talk and tell stories. And so I, it just turned into a book through my coaching with my own coach in mm -hmm. these last two years. We said, you know, this book should be more about your transformation through the caregiving and through the grief. And so where are you now? Like how, like you thought you were going to die. I thought, I thought I was going to die with my mom. Yeah. I thought that she was going to be the end of me. Mm. It's exhausting. <laughs> yeah. The, like the end. And, and I just remember thinking, I, what am I going to do? it's all about me. Like, especially that first year, mm -hmm. it was all about me and how I was going to live on this earth without my mom. And I didn't die. And in fact, now I'm, I'm thriving more than I ever thought possible. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm thriving in the areas that my mom really wanted me to thrive in. There were two areas that she was really concerned about me personally as her firstborn child. Mm -hmm. One was that I always carried a lot of extra weight on my body, like physical weight, which I've learned since was a metaphor for me carrying the weight of the world, like me taking on everybody else's stuff. And so I've learned over these last few years to release that. I'm practicing still mindfully. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you are one of my inspirations in that. So I'm, I'm just practicing being mindful about what is it, Lynn, that you're really hungry for? Is it food or is it something else? Something mm -hmm. much more metaphysical, like companionship or, you know, attention or love or what do, I, what do I think I'm missing in any given moment? And that's, those are the questions, the inquiries that I'm coming up with now. The other area for my mom that was a serious issue for her because she was so great with money. She was very, very good with money. And I was always kind of like, oh, spend it now. We could die tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And so my mom hated that. And so um, I've become much more fiscally responsible since she died. And I know that she, uh, that she is still around and she can sense that I'm, I'm good. I, I'm much more healthy in both of those areas than I ever was when mm. she was still living. Mm. So it's it's a message of hope for people. You know, I think um, not that I figured it all out. It's that there is hope to figure it out. And 
there's question, you know, there's like that curiosity that I, I've developed over the years and the going from wanting to control every little thing to realizing what I can control and what I can't. There's the hope. Yeah, you know, I, I think um, as a caregiver myself and, you know, sharing my own story and moving through that, I think um, the first phases of being a caregiver are really the toughest. And a lot of people carry that through. They don't find themselves. They don't find a way to continue. They don't, you know, your mother left a great legacy in the things that you just talked about, you know, that she taught you to be mentally, physically, fiscally responsible mm -hmm. and to, um, mm -hmm. you know, carry that forward. And a lot of people drown in caregiving mm -hmm. and some people don't come out of it with the ability to care for themselves at all. So yeah. I, I'd like to talk a little bit about that. And, and I'd like to just pull a quote from the book that I noticed you incorporated in the book, these little nudges to remind us to think a little bit. For example, you know, as a question for the reader, what expectations are you carrying around that are out of your control? Check in with yourself once in a while, you know, and that's part of being you know, the, the book itself is so mindful. There's so many little nudges like that, mm -hmm. that make you go, yeah, what expectations am I carrying forward? Do I really think I can do this all by myself? Do I think I have to? Mm -hmm. So how did you deal with those initial expectations? Mm -hmm. How do you, how do you answer that question for yourself? Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a really good question because if it's your first time getting a diagnosis that you think is, you know, we didn't understand that it's not necessarily a cancer diagnosis is not necessarily immediately fatal. And yet you start, you propel yourself, you, what I call future trip, instead mm -hmm. of staying in this moment, you know, we go, go off onto all other kinds of places and we start to, for me, at least, I started to get myself into trouble with all kinds of expectations about what I could and could not control. Mm -hmm. And also that uh, I'm not known for being a very patient person, <laughs> um, which I'll say I come by that honestly from my mother. <laughs> You're a get it done kind of person. Yeah, we're like, we, you know, when something happens that's critical, we kick into production mode. We've, you know, lifelong entrepreneurs, we've always, you know, started and grown and run successful businesses since I was a kid. And so that was just a very pragmatic part of what what we did and, and yet not knowing, not having a clue about cancer and treatment. And so we basically, you know, I mean, I flew by the seat of my pants. We, I, I looked to my mom for guidance because I wanted her to drive as long as she was feeling up to it. Mm -hmm. I wanted my mom to drive the bus at all times. take it away from her. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so I think that was very, 
if for my part, I trusted my mom um, more than I trusted myself at the time. She mm -hmm. was my teacher. She was my mentor. She was basically the boss of me. <laughs> and so I let my mom determine her own path. And she was very concerned with making sure that everything was documented really well, which the online journal came in handy for that, mm -hmm. um, that I created systems and that we used those systems to take care of her. So for the mechanical stuff that was day to day, we created these systems that we really honed over time. We really fine tuned them. Now, we had a bit of an advantage because my mom defied the odds. You know, she went past the six year mark uh, from her diagnosis, which was stage 3C ovarian cancer. Mm -hmm. So it, it didn't look good at the beginning. And um, and what do we know? We, we never dealt with that kind of stuff. Then we found out that she had the BRCA2 genetic mutation. So, oh, which we never had in our family. So there were all of these factors that we learned after the diagnosis mm -hmm. and then going through and becoming caregivers ourselves just for my siblings and I that were that were right there on top of my mom we all lived there were four of the five of us lived within 15 minutes of her or less mm -hmm. and so fortunately she had retired to California from Michigan and so yeah those expectations really they got me in a lot of trouble especially at the beginning. But then as the years went by, we had that advantage of the years going by and kind of settling into, um, I wouldn't necessarily call it a routine because you everything is so- No, it changes. Yeah, yeah on that, that roller coaster. However, I would say that um, at least we had some systems in place and they're, by the way, they're all on my website. So I want people mm -hmm. to go on my website if they want if they feel like they could use some extra support from trust me people you could use some extra support <laughs> material yeah from these material <laughs> systems they can copy and just make them their own because we mm -hmm. had binder pages and checklists about what to take on chemo days and everything is unique to the individual patient mm -hmm. so people can modify those for themselves so that really helped us also manage the expectations that we came into it with and i've learned since you can't, I mean, you can't really negotiate with expectations. It's unreasonable. Yeah. And, you know, those expectations that we have, as you said, are really based on such a lack of knowledge. You know, we don't know what we're dealing with until we yeah. start digging in, you know, and um, I've talked to a lot of people that were like, well, I don't really need to know that stuff because, you know, the doctor's going to track all of that. Mm -mm. And they're going to take care of everything. And, and that's just never true. Mm -mm. It's really, it's really hard for people to digest that. And so being proactive and having systems is really crucial, not just to making sure that you care for the person that you love as best you can, mm -hmm. but also that you care for other people. Mm -hmm. And the truth is, you know, the medical professionals, they're human too. Right. And they, they can only do what they can do and they can only know and learn what they've, what they've learned basically in their medical training, but also in their continuing education and also mm -hmm. 
what the individual patients present and you know i know as a family we can be intimidating as individuals we can be intimidating in our family especially the women in our family and so i was very mindful about um being considerate i do write about this in the book you know there was this there was this dance that i always would do in my head between being aggressive and being assertive like fiercely mm. advocating fiercely advocating for my mom she was my number one priority mm -hmm. uh, you know if there were any other needs to be met i could not even my own needs had to go by the wayside especially during crunch times during those i always say friday nights and sunday nights in the emergency room like why did it always happen on the weekends <laughs> when there was nobody around like the yeah. staff We'd, we'd come into the ED, emergency, emergency departments, and they'd start like giving us the end of life papers because A, they didn't know my mom, even mm. after multiple times because the staff was always different. And B, they didn't always understand what cancer and chemo and all of the treatments and the side effects around that really look like. They do look like the, per the person's going to die any minute. They do mm -hmm. look like that. But that didn't happen. I even thought, oh my gosh, she's a goner. This is it. And that was in year one. Mm. By year six, it was like, oh, she's probably going to be okay. She's probably going to rally like she's done a million times before. Yeah. Like you knew, but they didn't. Yeah, we knew and they didn't. And so mm -hmm. just like extending grace because... I just have, I have a renewed respect and appreciation for those frontline healthcare workers and those people in the ICUs, in the dark of the ICUs, right? When everything is just so quiet and all you hear is beeps. Mm. And, you know, it was a really depressing place to be for me. Those first days after her first surgery in the ICU, I... I almost couldn't do it. I I almost would pass out. Mm. And one of my sisters would say to me, if we were swapping shifts, changing shifts, and she was coming out and I was going in, she knew, you know, and I'm the oldest, I'm the big sister. And she would say, she would give me a pep talk and she'd say, you have to steal yourself, steal yourself. Like put that armor on and don't, let yourself get sucked into that, you know, I would look at my mom, she was all puffed up, she was on an intubator for 10 days, they could not extubate her. And I just saw her being helpless. And that was just too, almost too much for me mm -hmm. to stay, I, I, I just wanted to be unconscious. So it was not, it was not healthy. And I, the other thing is I had just come off of a diet where I had lost 53 pounds. Mm. And, you know, I tried, I tried to stay healthy, but I didn't really know how to do it. I didn't have the tools that I have today. Mm -hmm. Number one, I didn't have the education that I have today. I didn't have the, the ways of adapting to whatever comes. And so I spent that next six years, like packing on that 53 pounds and then some, and I used food because that's my addiction. So I, I used food and especially sugar 
to feed those empty places and those little girl places in me, mm -hmm. in my nervous system to, to medicate like, and to, and to go unconscious so that I could survive. Yeah. Like function with what's right in front of me. And so right. my mom didn't like that, but she couldn't, she couldn't do anything about it mm -hmm. at the time. And I mean, when I think about it now, I think about what a schmuck I was like with my mom at the time, because I would use my being, you know, unhealthy. I would use it against her. Like, if you don't eat that, I'm going to eat it all. Hmm. Right. Like, yeah. My mom was very petite. She was like a force to be reckoned with. She never smoked. She never drank. She did not overeat. Um, although she was also addicted to sugar, but, um, and she was a really good cook. So at the same time, she was wanting me to trim down. She was also, you know, feeding me. Mm. And then when the time came where she had cachexia, which is the, which is the wasting away syndrome that sometimes people get through chemo, she wasted away to 79 pounds. And oh, I would say, mom, please eat please drink your water, please. Like I would be begging her mm. to do things that I thought in my, you know, in my unaware state, in my unconscious state, I would think, why can't she just, why can't Yo, she yeah. just, like, why can't, we know, we know that cancer loves sugar. Why can't she just not have sugar? No, it didn't work that way. <laughs> It just did not work out. My, I could not impose my will on her if I tried. Mm. Mm. How did, how did that part of there's the roller coaster of the whole thing, you know, the days in the ERs, the days where things are looking up, the days are when, you know, she's awake and conscious and teaching you things. Yeah you know, and supporting you as much as you support her. It's a wild roller coaster. Mm. And yet you've come out of it so strong. Well, it's in the aftermath, really. Um, and it's also in the grief counseling that I got. I really believe that. Um, and they used a term called anticipatory grief. Oh, yeah. And as a as a, uh, uh, I call myself a realistic optimist. So while I'm expecting the best, I also plan for the worst. So I've got this like dichotomy in me where, I, you know, and I, and I became such a, a anxious worrier, like a worrier. Now I've become more of a warrior than a worrier <laughs> since then. And I, I think I've learned and I'm still learning to do a better job of a, like you said, managing my expectations, B, getting more curious about what, what I need at, in any given moment. Mm -hmm. And if I'm spinning too much emotionally, I mean, I still do it. I do it with, you know, family members that I get concerned about and I still do it. It's just it's a little bit less intrusive in my whole life. Mm. 
Like I'm not as likely to eat over some trauma or drama that's happening. Not as likely. I'll still, I could still feel it every once in a while. It will hit me like a trigger. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm, if I'm really mad at something or then I'll use food, you know, in a way that's not even, it's not doing anything good. Yeah. It's not productive. It's not so productive. Looking back mm-hmm. at those, let's say three, four years in, mm-hmm. you know, when, I mean, that's, that's a long time mm-hmm. to be a caregiver and, you know, going through the things that we're going through as well as the things they're going through, our families going through all kinds of things related to that. Mm-hmm. What would you tell yourself now? Um, I would tell myself now to pause, just take a, take a minute, like take a break from the spinning and you know, that emotional spin that I'm so expert at doing, (laughs) just step back and take a pause and then start getting curious. Like, how can I be like in this moment? And remember after that first year, I did hire a coach uh, who gave me a mantra and I'm still using it to this day to ask myself, is it true now? Mm. Is it true now or is it something that you're future tripping on? Is it something that you think could happen? Because mm-hmm. that's not what's happening in this moment. So becoming more present and I can only do that by just stop, step back, pause, and then get curious. Start asking those questions. Who am I in this moment? Who am I being? Who do I want to be in this moment? What is what is at the core of this emotion? Mm-hmm. You know, things like that. And so, yeah, three or four years in, it was, I remember thinking, well, probably more in that second year, you know, wasn't sleeping that great, wasn't eating that great. Um, it was... It was an unhealthy kind of a self-sacrificing way, but I don't know if I could have done it any different at that time. Mm-hmm. But I remember saying one time when, you know, my mom was feeling good and she wanted to do something fun and she wanted to, us to go. She loved to eat out and I also love to eat out. And so she'd be like, go shopping with me, go out to eat with me. Da, 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 da. And I'd be like, no mom, I'm working full time. Like, I, yeah. I'm not retired. You are. So I I know during, as the years went on, I would feel more guilty because I knew she wasn't going to last forever. Mm-hmm. Like all of my expectations of my mom living forever were dwindling away. Every time the cancer would return, my my pragmatic side, you know, that realistic optimism would say, Lynn, you better start preparing yourself to be alone in the world. Your mother Mm -hmm. is gonna die. Mm -hmm. Get a grip, girl. What are you gonna do when your mom's gone? You're gonna crawl up into a little hole and die too? Like I would have these conversations with myself that were kind of tough and not that gentle. (laughs) Mm -hmm. However, for me, I think that's what I needed. I needed to 
Um, somebody said once when I said, what am I going to do without my mom? They said, you're going to have to learn how to mother yourself. Mm. And I was thinking, I can't, how, how do you mother yourself? Mm. But I, I am learning. I am learning to mother myself and I am able these days to conjure up my mom. Like every time I see a hummingbird, I smile and I say, hi, mom. <laughs> and uh, you'll see, like, if you read the book, you know why. And also, um, my some of the things my mom used to say were just, I don't know if it was because she was so old school, but she said some really hilarious things. Like she had some one-liners mm -hmm. that were really funny. And um, I talk about them in the book. And so I find myself like just the other day, I said one of them while I was having a meal. And I said, this is very delicious. <laughs> and my mom used to just sit there when she was such a foodie and she would eat and she would say, very delicious. Just like that. <laughs> and I, that would make me like the happiest daughter in the world. Mm. For my mom to be enjoying a meal because I knew she wasn't always able to do that, you know, mm -hmm. through her treatment. Yeah, so it's really been and continues to be a journey. Now I know, and I and I say this openly, I know this this is kind of this is my realistic optimism coming through again. It's like this is a lull, right? This is a this is a nice kind of like even keel lull <laughs> in the action of life like mm -hmm. life is going to continue to be very lifey <laughs> and we've got a quote yeah life <laughs> will continue to be lifey and nobody gets out alive mm -hmm. there's that pragmatism and so what what are we doing with the moments that we have and how are we staying present and you know, how are we investing our moments? I've become much more discerning in these last couple of years, especially about who I hang out with, who I spend my time with, who is in my close circles. And um, that, you know, that kind of introspection and that kind of curiosity and discernment doesn't always feel comfortable. Um, from I'm a recovering people pleaser. I always wanted everybody to like me. And now I realize not everybody likes me. I'm not everybody's cup of tea. And so I've had to like be okay with that, mm -hmm. even though it's painful and uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And so these are the things about, I think that we learn and my mother really taught me without being explicit about it in her in her journey she continued until she died to teach us and i'm i'm really committed to making those lessons stick mm -hmm. and doing my best to be not a carbon copy and not a replacement for my mom i'm doing my best to channel her where i need her where i need that energy where I need the mothering, nurturing energy and where I need the pragmatic, get shit done, be in production mode energy. Mm -hmm. And learning to discern between what's true in this moment and what I'm just 
making up. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, the being present part is something that I hear a lot when I talk to caregivers, um, you know, that they'll say, I don't have time for that mindfulness stuff. That just takes too long. And I'm like, you know what? It's not about that. It's about being present enough to see the distractions you're causing for yourself, the ways yes. that you're escaping, whether that's food or Netflix binging or yeah. whatever it is, that there are so many things we do to avoid being present with what's actually happening. And yes, it's going to be painful, Yeah, but avoiding it isn't going to make it go away. It does not work. It never works. You know, I was working uh, in Sunnyvale in Silicon Valley when my mom got diagnosed in 2011. And I tried, I tried to compartmentalize. I didn't take any days off work and I didn't even tell my work what was mm -hmm. going on. Because I, at that time, I didn't trust the mucky mucks, you know, to not judge me for my performance. And I knew I could continue being a rock star at work while I was also taking care of my mom. Mm -hmm. It's just that that compartmentalization and that being inauthentic, like showing up as only part of myself, only my professional self at work, mm -hmm. that wasn't healthy either. And what I really appreciate about the way what you teach, Janet, is that I'm learning through you about the micro moments, like the micro, the micro dosing, which I really love that whole idea of micro dosing mindfulness, because now I can say, you know what, Lynn, get up off your butt, get away from your machines and your devices and go outside for five minutes. That's mm -hmm. all you need. Yeah. Or leave that hospital waiting room. You're, you don't need to be sitting there like go out, get some fresh air or play some music. Like I am a big, big playlist person now. So I've created all kinds of play playlists now that I love and that... Mm -hmm that helped me like that, talk about microdosing mindfulness. Music is a big thing for me. And, and it can get me out of that rut, like that spinning right. emotional rut. Yeah. So, and yeah, and that's exactly it, that you can knock yourself out of it periodically, but you've got to get out of it. You can't stay in that pool of whatever you want to call it, whether it's grief or sadness or Sometimes it's victimhood. Mm -hmm. um, you know, why do I have to do this? Why am I going through this? Yeah. And, you know, it was a choice. Yes. <laughs> in most cases. Yes. But, you know, we need to be able to take that pause and ask ourselves those hard questions. Mm -hmm. Do I need this now? Is this real now? Am I worried about something that happened in the past or the future, does that exist in this moment? No, it doesn't. Mm. And that can really change a lot. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I think, you know, going through the book, I, I absorbed so many things. And I think the toolkit that you offer people on, you know, how do I get through this? You know, some structure to help people navigate it because most people come to this totally off guard. They're like, I'm a caregiver, you know, and they, they don't even identify as caregiver. It's just like, I got all this stuff to do. How am I going to live my life? How am I going to survive this? And having some structure, having some of those tools 
Yeah. And a lot of the insights that you share in the book, hugely, hugely helpful. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of want to take a moment and, and say thank you for that because, mm-hmm. gosh, you know, we're all going to be going through this again and again. Yes. And learning how to deal it, deal with it and, and to manage our own expectations and our own sense of self is a great start. It really is. And yeah, it's not a science. It's, you know, we're all human and we're, I believe we're all doing the best we can with what we have right in front of us at the time. And my purpose and my, this book is really a labor of love for those exact people who are thrust into it all of a sudden, not even identifying with caregiver. Like that became a part of my identity, my Mm -hmm. identity without even knowing what that meant. And then I find out all these years later, you know, all of the resources and like your website and the work you're doing and like, wow, like where were all these people when I was in it? They were there. I'm sure there was a lot that was there, but you know, there's so many great resources. Um, your book, your, your website, the work that you're doing, um, other books that I found. And that's why I've started this community that's not on social media, but it's a community for and by caregivers. So, you know, I'm recommending other books. I'm recommending some help, some programs, some coaching, some um, a space for people to offer random thoughts or mm-hmm. wins or motorcycles, motorcycles, <laughs> successes, successes, yeah. you know, wins and and successes and also like really, really scary shit or, you know, just a place for people to come and gather online, wherever they are in the world, in at any stage of caregiving that they are in the world and um, be able to have like anything goes, any thoughts are acceptable. And I, you know, I, I want to shine light on those things that a lot of people don't want to shine light on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I, I think, you know, the, the book is, huh, the book is so smart and so helpful and just full of heart. There's so much love and compassion in this book. And I think for people who are at any stage, but especially those ones who are at the deer in the headlights, oh my God, mm-hmm. you don't go look for resources. Mm-mm. You don't think, oh, I'm a caregiver. I better go to the, you know, caregiver org, caregiver.org. I know. You don't even think about it because you think no. you don't have time. You don't. And that and that's actually why I wrote the book the way that I did. You know, there's some really longer chapters and some short ones. And I'm not one to follow formulas. So I, you know, sorry to my publisher, maybe, but <laughs> my book is not in a formula. My book is is more me it's unpredictable and um and i because i know if you happen to hear about the book and you have it in your hands or you have the ebook or you have the audio book you could probably just open it up to any page and the universe is going to take you to exactly what you need to read even if it's a sentence even if it's a paragraph at least the bottom line messages 
I'm with you. You're not alone. You may feel like you're all alone. I felt it many times. I still feel it sometimes because, you know, there's only one you. And so you're going to have those times that, that pop up and that your emotions are going to spin. But when you have some systems in place, that's going to help a lot. It's going to help to regulate your emotions. So, yeah, thank you for saying that. I Coming from you, that's a lot. <laughs> No, I, I really mean it from my heart. I, it's, it's, it's just a beautiful book. And I think the structure is something, you know me well enough to know that I am not a structure person. Yeah. So seeing the structure was like, oh yeah, I could have done that. <laughs> <laughs> so in retrospect, it's been really useful. You never know yeah. when it's going to come next. I know. But, you know, I think and being a community builder, I think this community is going to be really powerful for people as well and something that they'll find and discover and explore, which is really, really cool. And I love that too. Mm. Mm, thank I'm you. So glad. Lynn, why don't you tell people where they can find said community, how, what's going on with the book? Yeah. Uh, when this comes out, the book will have been launched, but yep. we really want people to hurry up and go get the book. Yes. Um, so the book, uh, everything about the book you can find on my book website, which is lynnabatejohnsonbook.com. Mm -hmm. um, and I know you'll have that in the show notes. And then the community is found there, you know, the link to join the community, um, all my social media channels, if people are into the socials, um, the tools for caregivers are there and they're free. So you just need to put in your email address. Um, if you're listening to this in November, then it's November, uh, November is National Family Caregivers Month. Yay. And so that's, I think, um, that category, which I'm so glad that exists now for family caregivers, which is those of us who are related to someone who has a, a, a diagnosis and doesn't really know what they're doing, is not a professional caregiver. So, mm -hmm. uh, and bless all the professional caregivers and the death doulas and the hospice people. And oh my gosh, I just can't say enough. So yeah. I, I have a lot of resources and other things listed on my website that can help people find whatever is needed. And also in the back of my book. Mm, that's great. Yeah. So friends, you'll get all those links in the blog post and please share it with somebody that you know is caring for someone and they don't know they're a caregiver yet Yeah, because they'll find resources, they'll find stories that'll resonate with their hearts. And that's what we really need is to feel not alone and to have tools. So thank you, Lynn, so much for this book. Thank you, Janet. Mm -hmm. Thanks for the connection and like you're saying, you know, my favorite, one of my favorite words other than community is that connection that we are all just walking each other home. Mm -hmm. Like Don Doss says, right? Bottom mm -hmm. line. Thank you, Lynn. It's been a pleasure. Same here. Take care. You too. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Mindful Social. It's been so great to see the subscriptions growing and the feedback has really helped me make the show even better. So if you know somebody 
who needs to be on the show, email me at janet at janetfouts.com. And please, send me feedback there too, or post a review on the podcast platform you're listening on. Oh, and do me a favor, share this show on social media or with a friend. Thank you.